From my dining table or my living room couch, and sometimes even my bedroom, this is Soon to Be Esquire, the podcast. I'm your host, Madison Tory. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much again for tuning into another episode of Soon to Be Esquire. Um, I know from last week's episode, or I guess two weeks ago, things were a little crazy up in the air with Hurricane Ida and school stopping and now finally starting again, but things are starting finally to feel like the ball is rolling and um, I mean, not necessarily normal because like I said, (laughs) you know, this law school experience, it hasn't been normal since I have started, but it's fine. It is what it is, but things are kind of looking the way that they used to be at least. Um, even with some COVID protocols in place. But anyway, so I'm excited to finally have actually the first guest of this new season on the podcast. I'm so excited to welcome Ashley Vila Ortega to the podcast episode. She is an amazing, amazing, beautiful light and soul um, she's a 2L at Loyola as well in New Orleans. She's doing amazing things. Um, one of the reasons why I actually reached out to her and asked to interview Ashley is, is because um, I'm truly inspired by the passion that she has and her willingness to um, just make a change and be that one person who calls out mess whenever she sees it. And I think we all kind of need that in our lives and we all really should aspire to be that way. So without further ado, please everyone welcome Ashley to the podcast. Thank you so much. You're so nice. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. How are you doing? First of all, you know, since everything happened uh, with the beginning of this year, how are you? Yeah, I'm. I'm doing well. Um, I think I've I've definitely been on a journey. I guess in these last few mm-hmm. years of my life, um, and um, I think it's definitely paying off right now. Um, I I've put in, I guess, the work to make sure that when stressful situations like this happen, that um, I'm in a good place or in as best of a place that I could be. And so yeah. considering that I'm I'm doing well, it is a little confusing and weird to be starting off school this way. Um, right. Yeah. I, I had just moved to New Orleans and then I was there for maybe like two weeks <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then the hurricane hit. And then so I, you know, I evacuated and then it was like, okay, yeah, actually you can't go home for a while. And so then I came back to my hometown, which I was like, oh, you guys thought I left. Psych, I'm here. Right. Um, (laughs) Which has also been weird because like I said my goodbyes. I like Mm -hmm. started my new life in my new city. um, And then just to be back, it just, it feels a little weird, but otherwise I'm, I'm really doing pretty well or I'm trying to at least Mm -hmm. yeah well okay so speaking of your experience so far like I know last year you know was your 1L year you basically Mm -hmm. came into law school with everything being online like how (laughs) how was that experience for you overall yeah so I mean I took 
I took a year um, after undergrad um, before coming to law school. So like this wasn't at all what I was used to, I guess, when it came to going to school, you know, I was used to going in person. And so either way, though, I had already adjusted to not being in school anymore, yeah. um, to just being able to work, which was really nice because I was like, cool, like after I get off at five, then that's it. I'm done. <laughs> right. Like, and you know, you don't, I go home. I even got rid of my desk, like on purpose. Cause I was oh, like, wow. no, I am not coming home to do like homework or anything. I have my bachelor's now. I'm good. Um, and then, so I think on top of like having to readjust to going back to school, it was like a little weird to adjust to a new way of going to school. Right. Um, like I had never really done like online school and all of that. Um, but I think I really got the hang of it. Um, and I, I felt pretty good about it. And there's, there's obviously some pros and cons to like going to zoom law school. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think for the most part, like I did what I had to do. I mean, like one pro was I got to choose who I interacted with and what I heard and like mm. all of that very well, because if I wanted to talk to people, it was going to have to be through Zoom or through Google Meets or yeah. some like digital platform. Right. Whereas like I've already heard like a lot of the times that like being in law school, like in person is just so toxic because mm -hmm. you just feel like the competitiveness. And I mean, yeah. I felt that and that was even just like through Zoom school. Yeah. So, but with that, I was able to kind of control that a little bit better. So I definitely did like that, at least in that respect when it came to Zoom school. Um, but obviously, like a con was like you don't. There's only you can only connect with um, your peers so much, like through digital media or mm -hmm. digital platforms and stuff. So um, it definitely has its pros and cons and. Um, I was a little nervous now about going in person for 2L year, um, just because I'm like, okay, I already adjusted to doing this in Zoom. How am I going to adjust to doing it in person and all of that? Right. But it has been going well, and then the hurricane hit, and so now we're back. <laughs> now we're back on online, and so it'll take some readjusting again. But yeah, it's been definitely an interesting experience for sure. Oh my gosh, I cannot even imagine. Uh, starting online but I will say just because I know how much community was so important to me but I, mm -hmm. I will say um Brie Ortiz she was on the podcast last season mm -hmm. you her and Joy y'all are like this super trio that I love <laughs> that I love so much and the way that you all connected with each other was just so amazing to see and even some of the two L's and three L's like um Brenda and that mm -hmm. was that was just amazing to see that there was still support and that people yeah. were reaching out and you know y'all were y'all were able to connect in that way and I just I loved seeing that because relationships are to me I, I thought was the most important part mm -hmm. of getting me through 1L year because mm -hmm. those are the people who you're going through it with and you know the times where you may feel discouraged they're really there too help pick you up so I think yeah, they're definitely that's I was yeah I was really thankful that I made those connections with Brie and Joy and a lot of others too um and I don't know I just think I, I guess 
as you were saying, I never, I never really thought about it in this way, but um, even like with Brenda, for example, I think it's just funny how even like, even through Zoom or even like we're in, when, when we're in Zoom school, like how like black and brown people just really inherently yeah. should, like gravitate to each other. Right. Like it doesn't matter like if it's Zoom or like in person, like it just kind of naturally happens there. So. Right. Right. That is, that is kind of a funny thing. Um, so why law school in the first place? What about the law, um, interests you? Is there anything that you, you thought you wanted to change? I know Loyola is a, um, predominantly public interest school of law. Um, and that's why a lot of people typically gravitate towards there. So is that something you were interested in? Yeah, it definitely was. So, um, I think when I was an undergrad, um, I had thought about going to law school, um, and and I just thought that I mean initially I thought that I wanted to go to law school because um, I thought it would be a really good way that I could help my community, um, and then I actually worked at a law firm um, mm-hmm. and I did not have a good experience at all. And where I went yeah. to school, um, it's in a like predominantly white area too, and so mm-hmm. um, that's also where. I worked um and so it was just a not a good experience at all yeah. and um I, I remember at even one point that I asked one of the attorneys that I was close with I was like is this how it is like to be an attorney or to work in these spaces and he's like mm-hmm. yep that's how it is like it, mm-hmm. when you go to law school like they train you to be this way and I was like all right cool so I'm not gonna go to law school because I don't want to be like you guys I really mm-hmm. don't I really don't like this <laughs> um and so when I graduated, um, I um, was able to get a job in like organizing, and I had already done some organizing even as an undergrad. Um, and then I worked in policy too, and I was like, "All right, this is how I'm going to make my change." Um, and then even as I'm working in organizing or in policy, like on the ground with my community, I'm just seeing how like we need that representation there. Yeah. Like there was constantly times that like I'd be an organizer out on the field um getting in touch with like community members and there were issues that I would see and I'm like okay like I'd go back to like my boss and I'd be like hey I'm seeing this is there anything we could do about it and they're like oh well we have to see if we could talk to an attorney or like we have to see what's allowed or like all of this stuff and I just like felt really frustrated about having to get somebody else to do this work and then really like that that being really inaccessible to the work that I was doing and so I was like mm-hmm. okay let me go back And now that I have more training on this, I have like an organizer mindset. I really think that I can be, if I go into law school and I become an attorney, I really think I could be that resource that these organizers who are trying to make sure like our communities are empowered or that they have the resources that they need, that they have the support that they need, which unfortunately like attorneys hold a lot of that power and a lot of Mm -hmm. that knowledge. Um, even though it should be spread out to other non-attorneys. Um, right. But really, we we would hold a lot of that knowledge. And so I want to, I decided to go to law school so that I can work on handing out that knowledge um, and helping out um, my community in that way. So. That's amazing. I mean, I know even my 1L year learning some things in classes that are, 
just not even fundamental rights, but even like, let's say it's a civil case and, you know, you accept some terms and agreement or something like that, or if it's some insurance case or tort law, whatever it is. And I just did not realize how many, how much control actually, let's say the plaintiff or the insured has Mm -hmm. over the insurer. So it's, it is crazy how much knowledge that we learn throughout law school, but it's Mm -hmm. even crazier how no one knows this information. And Mm -hmm. honestly, it's like, is this okay? Like, is this right? Like, I feel like, are you hiding this information? It's not that well known. Like, no one's going to ask about it, obviously, because they don't know what they're missing. Yeah. No, exactly. I thought that too. Like, we would read cases, like, in torts, for example, like, all Mm -hmm. those banana cases that we read. I was like, this is a serious thing. Like, people actually could sue, like, (laughs) if you fell. Like, I don't don't know. Or there's different things of, like, the battery or assault and all mm-hmm. of that like yeah you can sue people for this like you can sue for this kind of harm because this has happened to me this has happened to <laughs> a lot of like my family and friends like yeah. there's a lot of things that I was learning of like what you can sue for this or you can like I, I don't know you could complain about this or you can take yeah. some sort of action about this I didn't know any right. of that and I'm like it's just I'm like wow this this is definitely like an area or areas of law that like seem to be purposely hid from our communities because mm-hmm. like torts for example there's you can get damages for those but a lot of us don't even know what we can get damages for it like exactly like, oh, if they did we'll this, just think it's the incident and it's way more exactly. than that exactly it, like we think that it has to be like the absolute worst thing and mm-hmm. even then it's like do i have the money to get representation for that no yeah. But right. as yeah. I'm going through law school and I'm reading all these cases or like learning all these things, I'm just like, this is why, like, this is why white people have been able to thrive off of this mm-hmm. because they know what they can do. Or if they don't know, they're, it's very easy for them to figure out like what they can get damages for, what can what they can get support for, things like that. Whereas with us, it kind of feels like we're in the dark about all of that. Yeah. No, most definitely. Even in, you know, after Hurricane Ida, I'm in this insurance law course right now when we were talking Mm -hmm. about some of the things and how issuing a mandatory um, evacuation order can affect insurance claims. And I was like, oh, okay, I didn't know that. It's just this Mm -hmm. small little clause in your your terms and agreements and the contract that you sign with an insurance provider. And then also if someone sues you because of let's say some car accident or malpractice and you know your insurance is now representing you through that um because of the whole claim thing i didn't know that if you have an in- issue with the um type of defense that you're being provided you know you can sue the insurance company and they have to pay for your independent counsel and i was like oh my gosh i wait. did not know that either right i'm like wait. so people if they're not satisfied with some things or if they think that you know their let's say their defense did something wrong or something like that i'm i'm sure it's more complex than that but mm-hmm. i didn't know that you could just be like you know what Mm-mm, this isn't working for me now I have a problem with you with this coverage that you're providing me. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Now, while that lawsuit's going on, you can file another lawsuit. 
it's just, it's wild. And I'm like, no one knows this. Nobody does it. And my professor was saying it like never happens unless it's a $220 million case because they actually know what they agreed and signed on to, but it could happen Mm -hmm. to anybody if they kind of invoked that clause or that right. And I'm like, wow. And that's a problem, right? Like that's like, I know, I know I'm in law school. I know we're in law school. And I know we're going to become attorneys, but that is my problem with law school and with attorneys. It's mm-hmm. like, we shouldn't, like, this shouldn't be just an exclusive knowledge right. or exclusive information just to us. Like, right. that's, that's on purpose. Like, that's, that's done purposely, like, w- with the intention of keeping people in the dark and keeping mm-hmm. these companies, like, allowing all these companies to thrive off of other people's lack of knowledge. Like, that's absolutely not okay. Right. Oh gosh, it is. Yeah, it's a little frustrating, you know, the more you learn and it's like, oh, there's so much, you know, sometimes there's some things you want to do, but there are already amazing people out there doing some great work, like, you know, Colin Kaepernick's Know Your Right Camp, and he does Mm -hmm. a great job with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I just (laughs) wanted to talk about that quickly. Um, But for today's topic for this episode um, today, I want to talk about passion versus aggression and how this this topic I brought up a lot over the summer. And I was mainly asking the women attorneys that um, were in the office I was working at and the the people of color attorneys in that office as well about this. But I wanted to know, like, when you go into these board meetings um, or even if you're talking to a professor in a group of people, How do you not become that stereotypical, um, oh, this woman, she's just so, she's aggressive. Like they'll label you aggressive when you're just passionate or just when you have that knowledge of what you're talking about. But for some reason you're aggressive because you have all of that knowledge. And it's like, I don't know if they're threatened by the knowledge that this woman has Mm -hmm. or if they really are like, okay, well, we haven't seen a woman like you in this space before so you can't possibly know what you're talking about but that's what I really wanted to get into today is let's see what's the difference between the two and so you know when most people of color women when they women of color excuse me when they discuss a certain topic or an issue like I said that they have knowledge about and let's say they're presenting a solution or if they're trying to determine the next steps and they're taking control or taking ownership of a certain situation oftentimes like I said you know there's the label of oh she's aggressive why do you why do you think that is I mean I think at the root of it all I think and it goes back like historically I think Mm -hmm. really it's just easier to justify like violence or like dismissing Mm. um, people of color um if you paint them as a threat, I really think that that's like the core of it all. Um, yeah. If they're seen as aggressive, if, if we're seen as aggressive and we're painted in that way, then it's easier to argue that, yeah, let's not take them seriously because like they're not in a clear state of mind um, or, or things like that. Like, oh no, they can't be reasoned with right now. And I think that really goes back to a lot of like colonial times actually, like where black and brown people like are painted as, or talked about as savages or animals and things like that. Like we're not able to be reasoned with. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And that was done intentionally, like to justify all of the harms that colonialism brought on. And Mm. I think now it's manifesting in different ways. um, But I think really that's the core of it is like, if we're able to paint BIPOC people as aggressive, then it's easier to justify all the harms that we're doing to them and easier to suppress their voice. Yeah. Now, has this like ever happened to you? Not just even in a professional setting, but mm-hmm. it could be with friends or even family, like in a social space. Has, you know, anyone ever said, oh my gosh, you're being so aggressive right now? Oh my gosh. That, <laughs> I can't even <laughs> tell you like how many times that right. happens to me. And it's, it's really frustrating too, because it does happen with friends and with family. Like mm-hmm. constantly it's like, oh, you're angry or like right. things like that. But it's like, no, I'm not angry. I'm like, you did something really bad or really right. shitty. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on here. Actually. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I'll try to not cuss. <laughs> Girl, you are but... fine. Be free. Do you. <laughs> okay, thank you. No, but like, I'm like, you're being really shitty and I'm not just going to let you be shitty. I'm going to point it out yeah. but because I point it out. It's like, Oh my gosh, you're never happy with anything or you're always Ooh, so mad or girl all preach. of this stuff. Like how, like, Oh, okay. I'm just supposed to sit back and let you and let this. you say that. Yeah. Let you say this or let you do this to me. Like, no. And I think for a long time, like I internalized a lot of that. Like, Mm-hmm. Um, yeah for I, sure I don't know I was just like okay yeah it's me I'm the problem I'm the problem I just need to be quiet but like mm-hmm. I don't know then eventually I was like wait no I'm not the problem like right I'm not the problem here like obviously I'm not perfect either but the things that I'm pointing out like you need to be called out on this or we need to have a discussion about this um, right and it's you're actually deflecting to me by saying that I'm angry mm-hmm. or or all mm-hmm. of this stuff because you don't want to talk about what you actually did that was problematic. So, right. Yeah. I mean, right. that happens, I guess, like with family and friends. Um, then, and I guess, unfortunately too, in like professional and academic settings, like you talked yeah. a little bit about it, but like this has happened to me in class. Like I had a huge issue with like a couple of professors mm-hmm. um, in my one L year, but specifically um, starting, I guess uh, my first semester, I couldn't hear at all in class. Yeah, And that was not because of anything that I was doing. It was like the professor wasn't setting up his mic correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if I point, when I was pointing it out, it was like, I, I was getting gaslit this whole time that I was just wow. being problematic. And I was just like demanding way too much. And, oh no, I never said that. And like, I was also like, wait, am I crazy? Like, okay, maybe it's me. Like, let me fix all of this. But no, like, they were just upset that I was demanding that I should be able to hear in class. Like that's, which is a very simple thing at the end of it. I was like, no, I'm allowed to hear in class. And if I can't hear you, I'm allowed to speak up and say, Hey professor, I can't hear right now without you getting mad or saying that I'm causing problems in the classroom. Right. Like, and that's another time. Like, it's like, I'm made to feel angry or difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm not asking. And I remember I just kept saying that when I would meet one-on-one with the professors or with the deans, I'm like, I promise I'm not trying to ask for anything extra. Right. I'm like asking for what I paid for. Honest, I pay, I'm paying you a lot of money for this. Yeah. Like a lot of money. Law school costs a lot. And yeah, the I'm bare paying, minimum. I mean, the bare minimum, you can allow minimum. me to hear. Yeah, yeah. I can. I should be allowed to hear here. That's I'm not, not asking hard. you to do any extra 
any extra work if you can't if the audio isn't working it's not not anything on my end because I'm not the only one but because right. I was the only one speaking out about it right it was like oh look at look at how like problematic she is or she's just causing all these problems and it's like okay I don't I don't know it's just again it goes back to that's a very easy way to dismiss mm-hmm. black and brown women especially yeah. for like oh for why we don't have to do anything right or, yeah things like that I don't know I mean and also that's happened in in professional settings for me too like similar things where I would point out some issues that I would see and it's constantly like oh like it's always been like this like just like that's just how it is like let it go Mm -hmm. like I'm like no that that's not what I that's not what I'm here for like just because it's been like that I don't want things to be like that um and then even now like I guess my like previous employer um they now switched uh leadership that they Mm -hmm. have and they have recognized how much like they screwed me over and other BIPOC over throughout the years um and then they tried offering like a healing circle to to Mm. help us with all of that which like at that time I was like fuck you (laughs) that's not what I want like I don't want to heal with you yeah especially when you're the ones that like broke me I can't stand a healing circle that's (laughs) like I mean you know it I I'm all for a healing circle but not from the people who broke you exactly and then also I think there's a time and a period for it and I can't I can't even get into that because sometimes people feel like that's enough like oh this is a Mm -hmm. solution like you tried it no yeah exactly that was what they were trying to say was like hey, I fucked you over all of these times and I like gaslit you. I made you feel like mm-hmm. all of this stuff. I painted you as aggressive. I like said you were difficult, all this stuff. I'm sorry, but here, right. heal, heal from what I did to you. Like, no, that's not what I want. What I deserve, like this is what I felt with my previous employer. And it kind of goes to what you're saying of like, that's not the only thing you could do. But what I deserve is like money. I deserve compensation for the emotional and mental labor, like, you forced me to give you and the physical labor that you like never paid me for. Like, I think they constantly think like they just want to get away from all of that, but they Mm -hmm. thrive off of like all of the labor, emotional, mental, and physical labor that black and brown women, black and brown people put into, into this work. And especially in like public interest spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they think like they can just use that up and then, they profit off of that, but yeah. and they can screw you over in the meantime. But all all we want to hand you is a healing circle. Like no, that's not like that's I, not what, how this. What works. is that gonna do? What? Yeah. But it's like, interesting. Yeah, you that made you money can't... off of. Sorry, yeah, I was just gonna say like you made money <laughs> off it. of my suffering. So if you want to fix something, pay it back. Like mm-hmm. that is not mm. the way, girl. To, that's what you need to do. Shoot. <laughs> It's it's interesting that you brought up all of this happening in different scenarios because I remember for myself in academic setting, one L year tour, it was towards the end of the first semester. I asked my professor um, not to, I was just saying, hey, I didn't like the way that he spoke about these black women in a certain case. And I was like, Ooh, it, it just rubs me the wrong way. And I just mm-hmm. asked him, I was like, Hey, I just thought it was, you know, inappropriate basically. And I asked him nicely, you know, obviously why would I yell at him um, about it? I mean, and you shouldn't have had to ask nicely. You could have been mad. at yeah. him, But that's a whole other thing, I guess. <laughs> right, That's a whole other thing. 
And he was like, yeah, I'll fix it. Okay, whatever. But it seems more like it was a brush off, like whatever you're tripping. Don't even worry about it. After that, nothing else really happened. But I just felt like, you know, I wasn't being heard or I just wasn't being taken seriously. And I'm like, okay, thank you. I, I, and I just didn't have time to respond. I didn't want to follow up. And then like in a, it was 2-0 year, you know, with everything happening online. Professors are, already should know there's going to be some technological issues. If someone says they can't hear you, just speak louder, adjust the speakers, and adjust whatever you need to, um, your mic or whatever. And so basically another student did the exact same thing that you did, except, you know, she was white and the professor fixed it automatically and there were no more issues for the rest of the semester. So it's crazy how that exact same scenario, maybe it was a different professor, maybe it wasn't, but still how it's treated so differently, you know, representing the same institution um, with a mix of of similar students and two very different outcomes and then this past summer I think some some of the uh summer associates might have gotten irritated with me but because it was my last summer and I knew that okay an offer potentially could come out of this Mm -hmm. um if it does great if it doesn't I still need to know this information and ask these questions with whoever I may seek employment from And I was really asking questions about, not just about diversity, but more so about inclusion, how truly how women are treated, truly how BIPOC people are treated um, and heard and younger associates. And I was asking some tougher questions. And I think some of the other summer associates were getting irritated with me because in almost every single Q&A session, I would ask these questions that I know they would want the answer to, but they, it seemed like, oh, I don't want to bring it up. I'm not trying to irritate anybody. And in half, almost, yeah, a little over half of the summer associates, they were BIPOC. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, how, how would you not want to know this information? But at the same time, it's like, oh, I don't want to cause a fuss. I don't want to mm-hmm. make anyone feel uncomfortable. But I'm like, if you are potentially going to have future employment with this, with this person, with this organization, you need to know these questions because you don't want to just end up taking a job with them and finding out later on, like, okay, um, ooh, now I'm uncomfortable here. I didn't know that was going to happen. And so for me this summer, I kept asking about, okay, for women, um, whenever you want to start a family, if you want to start a family, I don't even like kids, but if eventually I do like kids, I can't, they're terrible people. But if eventually that's something that I want, mm-hmm. um, I want to know how is that going to affect me? Is, can that affect my track to partnership? What are some of the resources and support that you guys have for, let's say women who are infertile? Okay. Um, Out of all the women on this panel, how many complaints have you made about sexual harassment? Okay, Mm -hmm. out of all all of the BIPOC people on this panel, please tell me about some of the experiences you have had when you're uncomfortable. And I'm so thankful I asked those questions because one of the attorneys, she was like, I love all the people in in my office, but one time we were hanging out and the person said my name wrong. And I was like, oh, no, this is how you say it. Mm -hmm. and um she was a latina woman 
And she was like, no, this is how you say my name. And she's like, I've dealt with this all my life, but my name is my name. And um, he was like, okay, well, you know, it's fine. I, I've dated uh, I've dated a Hispanic woman. So listen, I know. Da, da, da. And I, when he oh said, when she told me this, I was like, hold on. Do, 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 do. I just like triggered back to when any other white person would say, oh, I have black friends. Like yeah. that's, that's yeah. the exact, that's the exact same thing as mm-hmm. like you're being dismissive of any type of negative connotation because you're scared how people, what people might think of you. Like that's mm-hmm. calm down. That's not what's going on. It's just a respect thing. My mm-hmm. name is my name. Pronounce it right. You know, it's not about yeah. how many Hispanic or Latino women that you have dated it's about you just pronouncing my name right, Carl. If anything, like, like, if anything, maybe Carl needs to fix it because if you dated all these like Latina okay, women and you still right. can't say the name right, then that you need you have some work to do. You've oh had access God. to a wealth of knowledge that could teach you how to say these names right, and you're still saying it wrong. Then mm-hmm. I would he he thinks that that actually was helping, and it doesn't sound like that. That really right. helped his case. Oh no, it it got worse, and then she, so she had to check him a bit. She did it in a way she's like, okay, instead of popping off like, oh wow, would you really say that? Da da da. da she was just like, okay, oh, what do you mean by that? That you've dated um, Latina women before? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And she just continued to ask him questions. And I will say, her telling me the story, the way she handled it was very poised and with so much grace because me I already know I would pop off just like how I'm doing right now Mm -hmm. I know myself too well (laughs) and so I'm like oh I maybe you know what I should I should change but should I change at the same time it's like but (laughs) no (laughs) right but it just kind of anyways you sharing that it made me think of all of these things through this past summer that I just thought was really important because now I feel like, okay, I know myself. I feel like I know who I am and what I want. So I need to make sure that in all aspects of my life, I'm, I have support people, community and organizations set up in my life that can help me get to whatever I want. And that even includes professional. So if there's that aspect of my life that I feel like, mm, you're not supporting me in the way that I need to be supported. I need to find something else. So mm-hmm. yeah, for me, that was so important. And thankfully there were people who were really honest with me, but mm-hmm. asking those questions, they're so important um, in the legal and, field or whatever employer you have. Yeah. And I mean, I guess from what you were saying too, that really got me thinking. And I think this really ties to this like aggression and passion like Mm -hmm. topic that we're talking about but like yeah I feel like black and brown people like are constantly like in like in in like a constant state of paranoia like we like Mm -hmm. are constantly having to be like okay like is my question too annoying or like am I saying that too aggressively like was that too loud Mm -hmm. or like okay no I don't want to bother them like let me let me not say anything and like with you saying like even some of your other like BIPOC peers, like they were kind of getting frustrated with you. I just think that really speaks to like how we've just been really conditioned to like, yeah, no, you don't ask questions. You just take whatever is given to you and then that's it. Um, and that's not any fault of our own. I think really right. what that is, is like that's white supremacy, like at work. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And 
I think there's there's some of some of us, you and I sound very similar. Um, there's some of us who are like more willing to be like, no, like <laughs> I'm I need to figure this out or I need to call this out. Yeah. Um, but then there's others that like are still kind of in that like we're we're just paranoid or just worried about like disrupting anything, any like status quo anywhere. Yeah. Um, because and then we don't want to we don't want to make white people uncomfortable or we don't want to make people in positions of power uncomfortable. So, and I don't want to come off as aggressive. So let me just not say anything. Mm -hmm. Let me not ask this question. So yeah, I think this really ties well into, into that topic too. And I don't know, just a deeper reflection of kind of why that is, you know? Yeah. And so I think my understanding of the difference between passion and aggression is honestly just the person (laughs) Is just the person, whoever is delivering um, the message. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to know, like, how do you see the difference between passion and aggression? I mean, I I would agree with that. I think also, like, I don't know, just some things that come that come to mind, I guess, with each of them. Aggression to me um, is it is a feeling that it may it moves you to stop something. Versus mm. like maybe passion, it's like it's maybe maybe fueling you to move forward or or move something forward. I don't know. I feel like with passion, there's um, there's more room to grow or or to move forward with something, whereas aggression aims to stop something. But I think both are perfectly valid feelings to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it, it really does depend on the person and what the circumstances are. Um, because both can, I think, equally uh, help a situation um, or, or I guess, or are valid in a situation. But um, in terms of, I guess, in these spaces, I, I really see passion being, and passion could be an angry passion too. Um, yeah. Being definitely. something that just moves us forward of like, okay, this I'm not happy about this. Or, hey, I'm really motivated about this, so let me work towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's kind of how I see that. But I think a big difference that I see with aggression and passion, um, and this is not so much with like the definitions, but just like who they're associated with, like yeah. automatically it's like, okay, BIPOC are aggressive and white people, oh, they're so so passionate about all their activism and all the things that they care about. <laughs> right. Um, and again, it's like what we said before, when BIPOC people push back on something, like we're automatically deemed aggressive. And mm-hmm. when, like what I was saying, when the same happens with our white counterparts, like they're passionate, but not aggressive. Right. Um, and I think it's just really because like us pushing back is a threat to, to the power structures that mm-hmm. like exist right now. And that the white supremacy and the capitalism thrive off of. Um, I don't know, like, I, we talked about this uh, briefly, but, like, you see how, like, black women are often, like, that's the angry black woman, like, stereotype yeah. that you see there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, like, it's always, like, now that I've, like, ha- I have more knowledge about, like, the the roots of that and, like, I have the language to talk about it, mm. I'm, like, is that is that really aggressive or are they just black and you're painting them that way? Or right. are they just brown and you're painting them that way? Like, right. I think um, for Latinas, for example, it's always like, oh, it's the feisty Latina. And mm-hmm. she's like, or the firecracker. I don't know, right. all of these 
right really ridiculous things that I've heard um but like especially for black and brown women we're like constantly having to think about how we talk to people like was I too loud when I said this mm-hmm. or was this too like mean or like how we interact with people or like what we do even like I'm sure like you've heard of the studies or the conversations about like when black and brown people walk on the sidewalk how we're yep. conditioned to like yep. move we move out of the way and white people yep. don't even like pay us no mind they just keep walking yeah and I didn't notice that and until like I was a little older and I actually like mm-hmm. did my own little experiments sometimes like I'd mm-hmm. be walking to like the bus or in like the mall or something and I'd be like let me see if they're gonna move and oftentimes yep. no one moved I'd like I know. hit them with my shoulder yeah because they wouldn't move um but it's like that's another space right where it's like they don't have to think about how they're interacting with someone or but with, we do. with the space but we do or like if we go to a store for example like I don't know. I just see like constantly it's like you see black and brown people like I think trying to show like, hey, I'm not stealing nothing. Yeah. Like my hand look at where my hands are. Like yeah. they're not in my pockets, for example. Yeah. But like white people will open up like a whole like bag of chips and mm-hmm. like be eating it. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, they're gonna get in trouble. Like and I would don't. never do that. And they don't. And I think like again, it's especially true for for black and brown women. Like when you like for example with uh serena williams how Mm, she i I don't remember when this was it was it was a little while ago prime example of it yes yeah like she i think she went off on the umpire Mm -hmm. or something like that Mm -hmm. um for some bad cause and then she was fined she's fined by i don't i don't remember how much money it was but like and then i think it was either a couple days after or a couple days before i think a white woman did the exact same thing or maybe even worse actually And nothing. They're like, oh my gosh, she's so. They were asking her about if she's okay. Like, yeah. Stuff. Yep. And I remember the commentators being like, "Oh, it's just like she really wanted to win." Like, mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. And I think that also goes into talking about like patriarchy too, because it's not just white supremacy at play here. Because, like, for men, it's okay to be aggressive. Like, that's right. what men are supposed to be. Like, right? You're boys will be, be boys. Aggressive, mm-hmm. and that's what it means to be masculine. Um, and then for white men, white women, that's okay too. But like, when you look at for black women who like are in between both of those, like, or have that intersection, it's Mm -hmm. like, no, that's absolutely not okay. And if you do that, then that's why Serena Williams is aggressive or how dare she do that? And it's like, why, why is that the case? Like, and I don't know, for me, I think it's like stereotyping black and brown people and especially black and brown women as aggressive is white supremacy and patriarchy at its finest definitely like it just and that's absolutely not okay and that's something that we're taught from a very young age and I think I don't know I guess to tie it all back together like with when we're actually thinking about what passion and like aggression means I think we like I think we have to constantly challenge those notions that we're fed from birth because once we do, I think we could see really like what's going on because it really wasn't until for me at a, at a later age that I was like, okay, no, I'm not being angry or she's not being angry. It's just like, right. They're stereotyping me that way. Right. Um, and I don't know. I think that once we do that, we see really how strategic all of this is and how it allows white supremacy and capitalism and patriarchy to just thrive 
mm-hmm. and to be justified. And yeah, I don't know. I think, I, I don't know. I think that's something we really need to try to challenge more than we do because we just take whatever stereotypes or whatever like words people want to throw at us and say, oh yeah, I'm aggressive. Like, I guess that's right. what I am. And mm-hmm. now then we adjust our whole lives to that when really we need to think about, okay, no, this is not actually what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the longest time in undergrad, I thought I was that way because I think it was my towards the end of my sophomore year or the beginning of my junior year. Someone kind of put that on me. Another, another um, Black person actually said that about me. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, okay. It wasn't a Black woman because they, I think that, that they would understand what that meant. Um, but it was a black man and he said that about me and I was just like, huh, okay. And you're like, you're so extra, you're so aggressive. And so for the longest time, for what, three years after that, um, I just kind of took that on. I was like, you know what, whatever I am extra, I am aggressive. It is what it is. This is what you get. Mm-hmm. And then I really thought about it and I had a conversation, um, with my boyfriend, Joshua, about it, like, am I, am I this way, da, 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 and he would always say, like, no, what are you, what are you talking about, that's silly, mm-hmm. and, you know, my parents would, would say basically the same thing, um, but when someone puts that label on you, it can just stay with you for so long, mm-hmm. and either you can just accept it, and then you kind of start to tell that, tell that as your own narrative whenever you meet people, like, oh, girl, I'm so extra, sometimes I can be a little much, da, 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 this mm-hmm. and that, um, or you can take that and and kind of internalize that as like, okay, well, you know what? Let me be a bit quieter, a bit more soft-spoken. Yeah. When something happens, uh, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to let it go because maybe it wasn't that deep. Mm-hmm. I kind of did both of those things. And now I'm just like, oh my gosh, that, was, that wasn't me. I wasted so much time on that. Mm-hmm. And I was, <laughs> earlier this summer, I was watching, binge-watching, <laughs> the show girlfriends mm-hmm. on Netflix and there oh, was this one episode oh my gosh girl I love it so much <laughs> <laughs> and there's this one episode uh I think his name yeah William mm-hmm. and he's an attorney uh at a law firm he's a black man and at the time I think he's engaged to to some woman or whatever and at the law firm they were talking about a case he disagreed with what the solution and the outcome would be he was saying you know what no we shouldn't do this let's do this instead and they weren't really listening to him. He's like, oh, okay, well, what he just said, let's say Clark or whatever, what Clark just said, I just said two minutes ago. So I'm, I'm confused on why y'all didn't hear me. Yeah. And they're like, okay, calm down. There's no reason for you to get all angry on us. I mean, we're working on for the same team, so it's fine. Um, but obviously, you know, with, some, with um, anything on that type of level, you know, whoever came up with the idea you know obviously they get credit for it they start to work on more projects or whatever stuff like that but also Mm -hmm. it's a sign of respect like just say oh okay yeah you did say that right my bad we weren't listening and that could have been that but instead it blew up into this whole situation and towards the end of the episode he was like you know what I'm quitting I'm gonna start my own practice and in fact his fiance or wife at the time he was like she was saying don't do that You know, basically she was saying, you need these people, just let it go. It's fine. And so like both of these two different people, they have experienced basically similar things, I'm sure. And one person's like, let it go. It's fine. The other person is like, you know what? I'm going to create my own table. I don't need a seat at their table. I'm just going to create my own table, invite other, other people and show them what the correct way is. 
-hmm. And basically, you know, he went back. And I think that's what most, most BIPOC people do is they kind of go back to that situation and they're like, whatever. And they shrug it off Mm -hmm. as, as no big deal. And, you know, thinking of this whole passion versus aggression thing, it's like, what, at at what point does it get, you know, too much to like, okay, I have to be done with the situation. Mm -hmm. I think it depends on the type of person you are and what your boundaries and limits are you know but also and at the, the same time too. it's like yeah like i mean do you, you may stay be the there type and try to make it better that, like yeah like i think you may be the type of person like one day like that's very vocal for example but that doesn't mean you have to be vocal all the time exactly that's kind of a frustrating part is like the people put on us of like all right mm-hmm. well you always like speak up like i shouldn't have to always speak up like that's why right. like some people need to step up when others need that you know and right. it shouldn't be like a constant all right this is the burden you have to carry for the rest of your life or every single day of your life yeah no I totally totally agree and as far as like the story you just shared I'm like <laughs> I'm so triggered because that's happened to me it's so many spaces where like I offer an idea and then mm-hmm. it's like no 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 like it, and it actually happened at the law school like last semester I offer this idea or I offer this insight like because we were trying to figure out how to um, promote you know DEI stuff at the school like diversity equity and inclusion and then uh a white woman is saying like yeah well we need to include like white women here because they're (laughs) also a minority they're a minority at the school and I had pointed out I was like actually no I don't think that's the case I think we really need to focus on this group of people I was pointing it out and I was like and not actually white women it shouldn't be just like a woman space here it has to be like black Mm, indigenous or brown women that need to be included in here and then I was told I was like uh I was painted as like oh that I was being uh divisive (sighs) and not trying to include people and excluding others and then so I was I was so frustrated that day I was like all right whatever then that was it we had a meeting like a couple days after and then and then that same white girl is like I have such a great idea I think we should (gasps) put equity at the forefront of our efforts here because really like we need to make sure we're centering those who are actually marginalized at this school people and I was like and everyone's like oh yeah yeah let's do that and I'm like did I did I not say that did I not say that last time and you guys were saying that I was being divisive or trying to exclude people and all of this stuff but now that this person's saying it like right. it's not a problem at all they're like oh no well i i think we just didn't hear you correctly of course like you that. didn't i'm like okay obviously you did it and it's just like that's such a frustrating place to be in because mm-hmm. it's like and that's from someone who thinks that they're an ally mm. <laughs> at the school oh that's scary that's and they scary. don't like that's what's really frustrating is because we need we need allies and we need white allies especially mm-hmm. but it's like how do you work with that when they are also con- contributing to this harm yeah. um I don't know and I think that's why I feel some type of way about like when I hear white people being like heavily critical about BIPOC like people because like I don't know someone could be the best ally or accomplice like out there but I still don't think that gives you any platform to like criticize black and brown people like they've been critical of us for centuries like that's what this is what this whole conversation is about right like for centuries they've criticized us and painted us as 
they've criticized our, our ways. They've mm-hmm. criticized like how we live and how we talk and how we act. And they've weaponized that criticism to oppress us. And so I don't know. I've been just like, we should be able to be like comfortably black or comfortably indigenous and comfortably brown without having to worry or, or be subjected to, to white people and who will always benefit from our oppression, no matter like how woke they are, how understanding they are, anything like that. And I right. think that's something that we, white people especially need to be very critical of themselves of is how they interact with and talk to or talk about um, BIPOC people because it's like, are you con- are you furthering any stereotypes or are you contributing to any harm that's continuing? Mm-hmm. Like, are you painting somebody who maybe doesn't share this same um, way or like the same strategy or the same like perspective as you on a certain topic? Are you painting them as difficult? Are you painting them as aggressive yeah. or all this stuff? What are you doing? Like, I don't care how woke you are how much of an ally you are you constantly have to put in that work and Mm -hmm. at least for us I think it's really important that we don't have to be worrying about how we're interacting with people who say that they're our allies like we like I said we should be able to be comfortable in who we are because that's like that's what our ancestors fought for that's what Mm -hmm. they wanted us to be able to do and we're still not fully there yet but as far as like how our work towards that that's I think just like to differentiate like passion and aggression again tying it all back really it's not just on us to work on that ourselves like the internal work to make sure we're not like letting that get in our heads but I think Mm -hmm. it's also like and this is I guess a call to white people too like you need to make sure you're helping us dismantle this too yeah so yeah. Sorry. Girl, well, no. Well, well said. I think that is the perfect note to end on this week's episode. I mean, yeah, you clearly said it so well. I think there's so much even to say about this. So I might even extend this as like a part two to continue um, this conversation because there's so much um, that goes into this. So I want to thank you, Ashley. Thank you so much for allowing me to ask you questions and being a part of this necessary conversation, also being the first guest this season. Um, Yeah. And just, you know, being amazing. I really, really appreciate it. Um, You are, like I said, some one of the people at Loyola that I truly look to for inspiration. Um, So thank you once again. Um, Thank I look you, and I could say the to... same for you. I could <laughs> say the same, and you deserve a lot of major props too. Because I don't know how you do it all. You're a badass, though, and you're everyone's like, kind. "You're, you're someone that so many people look up to, but including me." And I'm just like, "She's, I don't know how you do it all. This podcast, school, everything else that you're involved in, you're, <laughs> you. you're such a badass." And thank you for inviting me to this work, and and to this conversation. Thank you so much. Um, I look forward to seeing you hopefully mm-hmm. next you week too. whenever everyone's back in person. Thank you all once again for listening to another episode of Soon to Be Esquire and be back in two weeks for another one. Bye, y'all.